0: Of the the human desire is this acknowledgement that even in a world in which from the earliest days of your life that you're being told that God does not exist that you're being told that he has done nothing good for you if he does exist that the heart cry of humanity is this is we need God that we need to know him The same passion that those people cried out for in that field in Krakow is the same passion that cries out from your soul that you are made to have a hunger and thirst for God. To know your God, as we said earlier, not simply about him, but to be in personal relationship with God. John 17 verse three said this, and this is eternal life, that they would know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. How do you have life? Life is found only in Jesus, in knowing God. This is the whole enchilada. This is the big kahuna. This is the whole ball game when it comes to discipleship. Do you know God? Do you know him? And the Bible tells us the way in which we know God and know his character, and indeed are able to be invited into a relationship of intimacy and communion with God is through the work of Jesus Christ. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God said, let light shine out of the darkness, and that light has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. How? In the face of Jesus Christ. And so what we're gonna hear this morning is Paul talking about what it looks like to come to know Jesus and to know God and the pathway of that over the course of your entire life. How do you come to know God? Will you stand with me? We're going to read from Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read from God's word. We're going to pick up in verse 7, and we're going to read through verse 14. We're going to stand in honor of God's word. It says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I press onward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. May the grass wither and the flower fade, but may the word of our God stand forever. You may be seated. So in this passage is one of the most clear expressions of a Christian, Paul his name is, who has made it his sole focus and his greatest desire and delight is this, to know God in Jesus Christ. And Paul is sharing his life and his story in a sense through this. He, this is a personal testimony. He said, he's talking about his first person encounter of how he has come to know God and how he expects to come to know God. He is expressing to us the path by which one comes to know and experience and pursue God in Christ Jesus. And so I ask you, how do you come to know God? And how can we come to know God by learning from the story of Paul? Here's what we learn. We come to know God first and foremost by seeing his worth, by seeing his worth. In verses seven through nine, Paul uses the verb the word counted 3 times. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed I count everything as loss and count them as rubbish 3 times. Counting. Counting. These are this is he actually is using counting language. That's what he is using here. And it's an accounting phrase. He is counting the value of all things. And he's saying, on one side of the ledger is all the things that I I consider to be good and valuable and lovely in this life. That's on one side of the ledger. And on the other side of the ledger is one thing, Christ Jesus. And he's saying that the ledger that has Christ Jesus, that is the side that is of infinite value and worth. So much so that I consider everything on the other side to pursue them, to have them instead of Jesus would be considered incredible loss. But it's not because those things have lost worth. It's not because your family is bad and obey, obedience is bad. It's, the key word is hina in the Greek, in order that I may know Christ. He's saying that in comparison, that these things are as nothing in comparison to knowing and gaining Christ Jesus. And what does he say? To gain Christ Jesus is to be found in him. And that phrase, be found in him, tells us what Paul is expressing here about what we mean about knowing God. Joel talked about it earlier that what we are talking about here in regards to knowing God is not simply knowing intellectual and theological knowledge about God, but what he is after is a deep and intimate and personal communion with God. Now, this phrase, found in him, or in him, is used over 160 times in the New Testament. You'll heard it referred to as in Christ, or in Christ Jesus, or in the Lord. And what it is communicating is that your life is so in Christ, in knowing Christ, you are so uniquely and mystically united to Jesus in communion, in relationship to him, that there is an intimacy, that word that was talked about multiple times on stage, an intimacy and communion with him, that it's the same language that God uses in Genesis chapter two, when he said that Adam knew Eve. Now when it says that Adam knew Eve, it is not because the Bible is shy about talking about sex and sexuality. It is saying that to truly know someone in that level of intimacy, that is the type of relationship that God is beckoning you into. One in which you are fully known and you fully know him. And This is more intimate than even the most intimate of human marriages. That he would know you that deeply and you would know him because our marriages in this world are imperfect, and they're transient, and they're not eternal, but intimacy with God is perfect eventually, and it is unchanging, and it is everlasting. To be found in him means that everything that, that is good in your life is found through relationship to God, and so much so that everything that Jesus gets from God the Father, you now get. This is a very important concept to understand and begin to have it saturate into your heart, into your life. That everything that Jesus gets, that being connected to God through Christ Jesus is you get from God the Father everything that Jesus gets. It says in John 17, verse three, that the Father loves us even as he loves Jesus the Son. Whenever I've read that, I always say this. That would sound like, it is heresy, except for the fact that God is the one who said it. That Jesus, that God loves you with the same love that he loves Jesus. That is unbelievable. But that is what is yours in Christ. You would have that kind of level of intimacy and communion with him. And so what this also means is not that you get this love, but there's all these specifics that come to you, these blessings that come to you in Christ Jesus. Let's just walk through them. You see, some of you walked in here unclean this morning and feeling unclean, but you are washed and clean in what? In Christ Jesus. You walked in here this morning feeling ashamed, but you are accepted in Christ. You may feel inadequate, but you are sufficient in Christ. You may feel broken, but you are whole and complete in Christ. You may feel unlovely, and you may feel unloved, but you are loved and lovely in Christ. Christ Jesus you may feel overwhelmed but in Christ Jesus you are more than conquerors you may feel condemned but for you there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus you may feel lost but you are found in him Every gift that God gives us, every promise, every spiritual blessing, every aspect of salvation, God's choosing you, God's calling you, God's setting his love upon you, God's forgiving you, all of these things can be found in one place, in one place only, in knowing Christ Jesus. And so to have Christ and to have nothing else means you have everything. But to have everything but not to have Christ means you have nothing. And therefore, Paul is looking at his life and saying, everything that I pursued, everything that I sought to build my life upon, whether it was my own righteousness, whether it was wealth or status or name or security in anything in this life, all those pursuits, he's saying, that was loss. That was a waste of time. Not only does he say it's loss, but he uses this word rubbish. Rubbish. The Greek word for that is a fun word. It's this word, kids, scubula, scubula, And scubula. if you literally translate it, it means excrement, which means the most literal translation of the word excre- scubula is another fun word for kids to say, which is simply this. It's a four-letter word. Poop. Poop. He looks at these old things that he used to value, And places worth upon, and he says, ew, that's poop. And he has utter revulsion for these good things, like being a Hebrew of Hebrews, and being righteous, and seeking to obey the law. But now he sees them as liabilities. But not just liabilities, but as poop to him. And what is the rubbish What is specifically, what does he say? We didn't read it earlier, but we'll read it now. Philippians chapter three, verses three through seven. He says what he used to put his confidence in. Put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself had reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. He was saying, listen, I was part of the people of God.'" Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of hevels, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But then he says this, whatever gain I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Do you see particularly what he's pointing to? He's pointing to his resume. His resume is saying all those things, the degrees, the status The righteousness, even the religious status, those things are nothing. That is his own record. He says it's garbage. But then he says this in verse 9. But be found in him, and not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In other words, what he's saying is, I have to have Christ. Because all this stuff I built my life upon is garbage. But to have Christ, I get everything. And specifically, I get his righteousness. I get his record. I get his status. He makes you righteous, God says, so that you may be in relationship to him. And Paul has come to see his accomplishments And what you need to begin to see is it is not ultimately just your failures that keep you from knowing God. It is also, also those things that you have looked to as your righteousness that have kept you from God. That those things that you have said, this is my record, and this is what I can bring. But he's saying, no, I throw those to the side. These things cannot make me acceptable. That's why he says in Galatians, if righteousness could be gained by law, then Christ died for nothing. And therefore, Paul is saying that anything added to Christ and his work in order to save us, to look at your life and saying, I want to know Christ, and I need to do these things over here, all those added things have to be kept out. It is Jesus plus nothing equals everything, not Jesus plus your record equals everything. It is not Jesus plus your academic achievements that means everything. It is not Jesus plus your work success or your family beauty that mean, gives you everything. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Because to add poop to anything is to subtract from it. Have you ever had an amazing steak for, cooked for you? I've had the chance to go to Ruth's Chris, I think, three times in my life. And so let's imagine you're going, you've gone to Ruth's Chris and you've ordered the filet and you order it medium rare because you're not a Philistine. And so you order it medium rare and it comes out and it is a thing of beauty. I mean, this thing, it's thick and, and, and juicy, which I think might be a quote from a song. And, and, and you, when you cut it, it's like butter and it's perfectly seasoned. And it, and, and, but what if, what if you were to do this? You were to go ask the waiter, hey, my filet is, it looks great, but could you give me some A1 sauce or some ketchup? Now, if you are with people who love you and care about your discipleship, they will take the salt shaker and they will throw it at your head. And they will say to you, addition to perfection is an abomination. Addition to perfection is an abomination. That is what Paul is saying. Addition to the perfection of Christ's work is an abomination. And anything that tempts you to root your soul in something else, Paul says, I don't want to be near that. I don't want to be near rooting myself in something else other than knowing Christ Jesus. He doesn't want to step in it and he doesn't want to sniff it. And do you hear the force of it? Jesus is not saying Paul's not saying that Jesus is better than any one thing in life. He is saying that Jesus is better than all other things added up in life. He is not saying that Jesus is better than anything singularly. He is saying that Jesus is better than everything else cumulatively. And that is why the psalmist says that Jesus is better than life. All of it. And this is why the old Afro-American spiritual used to say, you can have all this world. You can have all this world. But give me Jesus. Is that your perspective? Is this the great longing of your soul? Is this the thing that drives your life? That I get up in the morning and I want to know him more deeply and more beautifully than I did yesterday. Now, what drives us to such a deeper experience of knowing God in Christ? What are the practicalities of things that would lead you there? Now, there is the word, and we want to give you some ways strategically to get in the word. But what drives us to the word? And there is prayer, yes, that is intimacy and talking to God and communing with him. But what drives us crying on our knees Paul is quite realistic and he knows himself and he knows us that the path to a deeper experience of Christ Jesus comes by losing and by relinquishing our grasp on the things of this world. And the most frequent way that our hands come unclenched from the things of this world is that they are pried out of our hands through suffering, through suffering. So Paul shows us that he has learned to know Christ more deeply and with power through suffering in the ways that Christ suffered. That's your second thing I want you to see this morning. That if you want to come to know God in Christ Jesus, if you want your discipleship to grow in depth, you have to be willing to share in his sufferings. Philippians 3, verse 10 and 11 says this, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. What does he mean by that? Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, real quickly, what does he mean by the power of the resurrection? This is the fullness of knowing God. To have God so embedded and so ingrained in your life that the very same power that brought Jesus back up from the dead Becomes the power that is animate in you. That's what he's saying. That our knowledge of God reaches new depths, or we might say, new heights, and our experiencing by experiencing the power of God in our life. What was the resurrection of Jesus Christ? The resurrection was nothing less than the victory of Jesus over sin and Satan, and death itself. And he is saying that what we want, and with the greatest desire that he wants to have in his knowledge of Jesus, is to come to know God so deeply that that same power that defeats sin and Satan and death itself begins to take hold in his life. In other words, I want to have the power that reverses the curse, that takes a dead man and brings him back to life. And so I ask you, what are you really yearning for? Do you, really, you, you only yearn for retirements, or a great family or a stable country or lower taxes? Or do you yearn, and do you cry out for a power that turns dead people into life? For a power that takes your sinfulness and turns it into something that is beautiful? I want to know God's work in me and through me. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection is to say, I want to experience him bringing me at the depths of who I am from death to life, that I come alive again. And yet so many of us are dwelling in the tombs of this world. Paul's saying that grace is the actual workforce of God, like a nuclear energy, that when you come to know God, this is what begins to happen. Your life is flipped upside down from death to life. And we say, yes, Lord, I want that. I want the power of your resurrection. And then he tells us the way to share in his sufferings. And we say, no, Lord, not that way. Not that way. If you want the power of the new life, though, this is the principle. If you want the power of new life to course through your life, if you want an intimate experience of God's power, here's the way. Adversity, Loss and upheaval and pain. Now, understand this. It is loss and it's suffering. It could be persecution. And it could be that high point of pain and sorrow in your life. The the death of a child. Or a deep and dark sickness or depression. And that is true. But I think it's also the routine things. Taking on Christ's suffering is best understood in regards to taking on the long road of servanthood and the long, long path of death. We tend to think of it as a one-stop shop. I experienced this persecution, and I'm good. That's what experiencing the suffering of Christ is. But actually, the place in which he most recently talks about the suffering of Christ is in the very previous chapter in Philippians chapter 2, where he says this. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What was the mindset of Jesus? He did what? He died daily. He got up and he said, I am the servant of all. And he suffered and he died. The form, it says, he he laid aside the form of God and took on the form of a servant. The Greek word there is the word morphe for form. And it's the same exact word that's used here in Philippians three, verse 10, where it says we are becoming like him. In other words, to become like him is that you take on the form of a servant day in and day out. In other words, this is not a one-time dying. This is a daily dying. That's what he's calling us to. To share in the sufferings of Christ means you share in the sufferings that he experienced. And he experienced what? All the panorama of griefs and sorrows. His body, it grew tired and weary. He was betrayed and he experienced relational sorrow. He labored and he got physically hurt. His body felt broken at times. He gave himself day in and day out to serve others who wouldn't give a flip about his service. He experienced poverty and want. He served his disciples and he washed their feet only to see them then betray him. He was led into the wilderness and he experienced hunger and thirst and weakness and temptation. He experienced all of that. And then he went to the cross where he obeyed to the point of death. And it is joining Jesus in the pathway of daily service, of bearing up under the sorrows and the sufferings that he leads you into that allows us to know him better. And Jesus told us this is the way it was going to be. When he calls his disciples, when he specifically calls them and says, come and be my disciple." We say here we want to make disciples who know God. And he says, guys, I want you to be my disciples. And he said this. What did he say to them? In order to be his disciple, what did he say they have to do? Take up your cross daily and follow me. And our crosses are going to be different, each one of us. You have a different cross to bear, and you share in Christ's suffering in a different way than I share in Christ's suffering but they are under his hand and under his care. This is what Paul means when he says in Philippians chapter three, verse 11, he says this. So that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now what you might hear there is, I have to do these things in the hopes that I will get resurrection at the end of all things. But but you might hear uncertainty in his words. Am I sure I'm going to reach the resurrection from the dead? But uncertainty of resurrection is not what is uncertain here for Paul. He knows he's going to be with Jesus for all of eternity. What is uncertain is the path that God is going to choose to take him through. What is the way of suffering that God has chosen for me? I don't know, God, what you're doing. And I don't know how God is going to do it. I don't know how long it will take and what it will take. But I know that where God is leading me and by whatever route God in his wisdom and in his providence shall ordain, I shall say, yes, Lord, thou art my master and I am thy servant. And that wherever you, you lead me, I will follow as long as you give me yourself. What my suffering will be, I do not know. And isn't this so much of the fears of our life? God, what are you going to ask me to endure? What sorrows and pains will you ask me to walk through cancer? Will you ask me to walk through watching my child walk away from you? Will you ask me to walk through incredible pain physically? Will you ask me to to walk through what it means to cling to you in the midst of depression and anxiety. What will you ask me to walk through? But he says, somehow, even through these things, that these are the means by which you will attain to the resurrection from the dead. There is a mission named Chrissy Chapman who spent many years in the, in the African country of Burundi. She tells the story of an 84-year-old man who she came across sitting in the dirt as she was distributing kind of, we'll call it porridge. One day to a people that had been displaced and they were in a camp. And the old man had walked down from the mountains some 20 kilometers over five days. And the old man, after having walked down, he he told this story to this woman as she fed him. And he said his entire family had been killed in the civil war that had been going on nearby. His wife and his five children, as well as his five children's whole families... His house had been burned and he had escaped with nothing more than the clothes that he was wearing. And as she gave him food, the old man looked up at her with tears in his eyes and he said, Madam missionary, I never realized that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was truly all that I had. It is the way of suffering that you come to see your need for him and that he truly will satisfy you. The old man was not saying that his family was rubbish, but he is experiencing the suffering that Jesus really is enough. That it is hard to imagine for us, isn't it? That we are buffered with like multiple layers of comfort. Like we can't even stand to have one layer of our comfort taken from us before we go, oh, how long, oh Lord? The loss of good things, it's unfathomable us that they could be gained. When most of us feel like we could not survive without the good things that that man lost, that you would look at God and say, take me home now, just kill me, like Job's wife told him to do. Which is why we spend so much energy and anxiety trying to protect these things that we think are our life. But just imagine with me the freedom that comes in knowing that Jesus is enough, And that joy in him could be experienced even if he takes his good gifts away. But also that when you experience joy in him, suddenly you don't hold on to his gifts so tightly. And so you actually can begin to enjoy them rightly for the first time. Larry Crabb put it this way in his book, Shattered Dreams. And I'm sorry, I don't have it on the screen for you, this quote. But he said this, suffering has its function. As nothing else can, it moves us away from demanding what's good. What's good? like family and marriage and comfort, towards desiring what's better, which is Christ himself, until heaven provides what's best, which is eternity with him. Paul doesn't know the form or the frame or the path of suffering that God is going to walk him through, but he does know, he does know where it leads, and where does it lead? It leads to Christ. It leads to Christ, and he says, it does not matter however way you want to take me, as long as the end is a resurrection with you, is life eternal with you, and so this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians four sixteen and 17, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For those of you that are older and your bodies feel like they are literally wasting away, here's the image that there is a two-way street going on in your life, that your outer form through suffering is being wasted away, but in, internally Christ is becoming more real to you. And in that there is greater life that I am dying, but I'm becoming more alive. So let me ask you this. Will you submit? Listen, when we talk about discipleship, I have young guys come and ask me, oh, what's the philosophy of discipleship at King's Chapel? And then what they want to know is, what's all your strategies for helping people grow in Jesus? And we have strategies. I can give them answers, but we're not near as good as disciples as Jesus is. The way and the strategy of discipleship that Jesus gives us is the path of suffering. And so the question for you, King's Chapel, is, yes, we want to become disciples who know God, but are you willing to walk this path? Yes, we'll give you the word and we'll give you prayer, because those are the things that you need to cling to in order to know him better as he sucks you through and pulls you through his path of discipleship called suffering. Suffering. The path of going to know God has one final component to it, and that's perseverance. It is a lifelong striving. A striving not for a day or a week or for a few months, but a lifelong striving. And so we say this, if you want to know God, you've got to strive in his grasp. We come to know God by striving in his grasp. We see this in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, Paul says, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul is saying this. I press on towards one thing. Set your mind and your heart for a lifetime on seeking to know him. That, 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 that he calls us to a single-minded devotion to see Jesus as both the goal and the reward of this life. Did you know that there's incredible power in having a single-minded devotion and having single-minded focus and saying this is the one thing you know we see we have we have we have illustrations of this in nature lasers for example what is a laser well, if you think it's light that is pressed through in a concentrated directed focus fashion you see a simple magnifying glass can focus the rays of light in such a way that you can burn the ants and the lizards in your yard every 9 year old knows this but regular light if it's given a direction that is wholly focused, becomes unbelievably powerful. That if you were to shine, a, if you put a light bulb, these lights, they have power, but their power is disseminated over because they, it's the light scatters. But what God is calling us to do is to take everything in our life and to press it through this one goal, to know Jesus. And that's what a laser is. A laser is the light gathered up and it's put in one direction so that it can burn a hole through diamonds. That's what a laser is, and that's what Paul is calling us to here. He says, I press on. I press on. I push through. He says, I'm gathering up all of the Christian life, all the things that I do for this one purpose, and that is the one thing that I am after. And what is that one thing? To know Jesus Christ, to know Him. This means gathering up your work and your family life and your finances and saying that these things, these things are all here so that I can experience a greater knowing of God. He's saying we come to know God as we make him the one thing and that we come to know him as we make him the one one thing for a lifetime That we strive and we pursue and we cast off anything and everything that might keep us from knowing Christ Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 1. Lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. To what direction? Looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. The one thing to take hold of is Christ, to cling to him and to keep clinging to him no matter how you might describe the season that God has put you in, that you cling to him to the end. And therefore, it is not a sprint, it is a marathon. And if you're gonna run a marathon, then you need rhythms like community and daily time with him and patterns of prayer and patterns of time away of fasting and resting You see, for many of you, your one thing is this. It's interesting. For many of you, and I know this because so many of you are like me, you have a bunch of kids, and you're discovering over and over and over again that if you're honest, if people go, "Hey, how you doing?" What's the thought that goes in your head? You go, "I'm tired." That's that's how I'm doing. And, and, and for so many of you, I, I hear the way you talk about your life and your lo- greatest, the one thing that you're after is this, is to make your life manageable. But you, what you're going to find is that's going to be taken from you. Life is not manageable. Something always comes along in suffering that makes it unmanageable. But when the one desire is to know Christ, what do you find in Christ? Rest rest and so seek to know him but how do you know you'll get there i mean you think about like i got to cling to him and i got to run a marathon for the rest of my life i mean i'm i've been doing this christian thing for 6 years and i'm exhausted already this it says to strive that's a long time of striving I mean, I, I, I got my arm, my forearms don't have what it takes to cling to Christ to the way that I need to. And so what would have you, what would allow you to keep going? Where's the strength that comes from to do that? Or what would even allow you to be, begin to start this pursuit of him? To go, wait, I have to do this for the whole my whole life? It is this truth, that you can be confident that as you cling to him, and even as you're weary and tired, that you cling to him, not because you are so strong, but because he has taken hold of you. He's taken hold of you. It's why Paul said this, not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Jesus Christ has already made me his own. When we get to know God, we discover one of the first things that we discover is we thought we were running after him to get to know him. But we actually realize he's been running after us and he already knew you. Jeremiah chapter one, verse five says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, why? Because no one will stash them out of my hand. He says, I know my sheep and they hear my voice and lay down my life for my sheep. He knows their names. Your name is engraved upon the Lamb's book of life and upon his wrists. So Hebrews 12, we read it just a minute ago, that you're run a race with endurance, looking to Jesus, but we buried the lead. It says this in verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why? Why? Why did he, what was the joy that he looked to as he endured the cross? You. Purchasing you. He already had the Father. The joy that he pressed through in suffering of the cross was to claim you. And therefore, my pressing on, my seeking to know Christ only happens because Christ has already taken hold of me. And I know that my pressing on and my seeking to know him tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and 30 years from now is because he clings to me. And I can know that that promise is true because even on the cross, he would not let me go. Jesus says no one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him. But Paul here is saying, I only grasp him. And I'm only drawn to him. I only have an intense desire to cling to him because he first he first clung to me. This is the Christian life in a nutshell. I seek him today to grasp hold of him because he already grasped hold of me. And therefore, striving to know Jesus Christ is a race that comes with infinite blessing and makes you even more alive and more powerful Through suffering, and because he knows you, and because he knows the future that awaits for you will end like this. Verse 14 Here's the end. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call that is found in Christ Jesus. What's the prize? What's the reward? After a lifetime of striving to know God, what's the reward? The reward is the face of God. Is to know him as you have longed to know him. It is perfect communion. It is the intimate knowing. Do you know what your eternal occupation is going to be? It's to swim in the seas of God's love for you. We know this because Ephesians 2.7 says it. It says that our future is a future of coming to know what he says are the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness. Do you know how long immeasurable is? It is immeasurable. You can't come to the end of it. And so that is what your eternal occupation is going to be, and you're never going to grow bored with it. It's to know more and more and more the knowledge of him and his love and his kindness towards you. You We're a people of great exploration. We've explored space, the moon and Mars, but you know there's a place that we haven't really gone a whole, we don't know that much about, is our very own oceans. This is from National Geographic. They say this, Despite its size and impact on the lives of every organism on earth, the ocean remains a mystery. More than 80% of the ocean has never been mapped, explored, or even seen by humans. A far greater percentage of the moon and Mars have been mapped and studied than even our own ocean floor. Now think about how long that's going to take. We've been here for a while, and we've only gotten about 20% of it measured. What, what, how long is it going to take to do the other 80%s? to become familiar with the oceans of the earth. The ocean is vast, but here's what I'm saying with this. You would sooner exhaust all there is to know about the undiscovered ocean than you will exhaust what can be discovered about the person and work of Christ Jesus. He is infinite, and he is eternal. He is perfect in his beauty, and he is the pinnacle of wonder, and your eternal occupation will be to swim in the seas of the perfections of your God. And so why don't we get started today? Why don't you set your minds afresh and anew on this great task, your eternal occupation, to know God, to know God. who He has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord, I am uh, reminded of Psalm chapter 27, where David says this, One thing, one thing I ask is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in his temple. And suddenly, Father, I pray that that would be our heart cry. That we would daily wake up and we would say, I need more of you. That I would need more of you. And Lord, for those who are willing to pray this prayer about their discipleship, would we be willing to pray this? Lord, do what it takes to make me cling to you. And so, Lord, if that is suffering this year, then so be it. Lord, would you remove those things that have hindered my knowledge of you and my clinging to you and my delight in you. So for those in this room, Lord, who have never actually clung to you, I pray that they would begin to see by your power of your spirit that you're of infinite worth. You're of infinite worth. That all the things that they are seeking in academic success and financial success and familial success, that these things, Lord, are passing. But in Christ Jesus, they have all things. In Christ, they have forgiveness, and they have acceptance, and they have significance, and they have value. And So they would begin to see that these things all point to them in their heart of hearts, that they would say, there's one thing I need. One thing I need. His name is Jesus. Would you cause us to cling to you? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.